0: May I direct your thoughts to the book of Revelation, to chapter 14 and verse 13. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. This book comes to us from within the circle of affliction. The the Apostle John, and we believe it was the Apostle who wrote this book, becomes the messenger of God to convey the unconveyable. The language is human, it has to be so that the churches in Asia could understand, but the content of Revelation goes beyond what is of this world, and so we find the things of this world used to describe what is yet to be and we find it we find the description bringing into our minds thoughts that Remain thoughts. We cannot crystallize them because they are so lofty, so beyond what our limited environment in the present time can allow us to think about. We read, for example, in this chapter how he tells us of a lamb standing on Mount Zion with a hundred and forty and four thousand having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder now the voice to be intelligible to us as human beings cannot be understood as being intelligible when we speak of speech as the sound of many waters and uh, The book is full of uh, applications from the world that we live in to uh, matters that can only be appreciated when the ultimate will be experienced. And what an ultimate! And so we will try as best we can to find our way through these words that are meant for the edification of the Church and for its encouragement. It is difficult for us to appreciate what the early Church went through a sea of suffering. The apostles, as they spread forth the gospel, became the objects of persecution by the Jews who did not believe and the Gentiles who had their own ideas and thoughts. And we see that the Roman Empire, that at this time was supreme among the nations, we see that increasingly there was a movement for the uh, emperors to receive worship and uh, we particularly see it uh, towards the close of uh, that time until we come to the days of the Emperor Constantine, who under the hand of God was the instrument to uh, uh, declare the Christian faith As the genuine and true faith, and was instrumental in bringing much needed peace to the church. But we have to reflect on these apostles as men who were not living in times when they could relax and sit back comfortably, enjoying the benefits of salvation, but as soldiers who were at the front line and required to stand up to the persecution that came at them, from all quarters. Uh, and it is wonderful to see that the Apostle John, who himself uh, was such a, a loving disciple, that he becomes the person that on this occasion is uh, taken away from his own place at Ephesus uh, to Patmos, where he was subjected to what the authorities saw proper by way of punishment. And yet, in the island of Patmos, separated from the Church, exposed to what his... Uh, enemies could throw at him, we find this beautiful setting forth of, uh, first of all, God who is the ultimate authority. And perhaps we should remind ourselves of that authority in the terms that scripture allows us to think about them. We, first of all, think of the birth of Christ. Mary, the mother of our Lord, could not understand how she could become the mother of our Lord, seeing that she was not married And she spoke to the angel, angels, sorry, angel uh, to uh, present to him what to her was an impossibility, and indeed an impossibility to any man. But then she was told that what was going to happen in her experience was beyond the human, the ordinary human circle of experience. We also see it in the case of uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who in that old age... Uh, had the experience of having a child, John the Baptist, uh, who came in the spirit of Elijah. And we see how impossible the situation seemed to Zacharias when he... uh, on hearing the, uh, what was going to be their experience that, they were, that his wife would uh, conceive and bear a son, he saw the impossibility, the natural impossibility because of their age, notwithstanding that he had prayed that God would bless them uh, with a child, and we see how deep uh, that unbelief uh, gripped Zacharias, because we, because he, uh, we see how how it gripped him in the way that he was struck dumb until such time as when they came to name the child and uh, the mother was they were going to call him after his father Zacharias but the mother Elizabeth said no his name is John and uh, they of course consulted with Zacharias who could not speak and he wrote on a piece of uh, paper that his name would be John, and immediately his speech came back to him. Now, people may be skeptical as to the explanation of the birth of our Lord and uh, all that concerned the preparation for that birth but our Lord lived and died and he presented a life that was full of evidence, brimful And we see that notwithstanding his rejection that he ultimately declared himself when he was crucified and at a certain point he declared that the work that he had come to do was now finished and uh, death did not take hold of him in the sense that it overpowered him but he himself gave up the spirit it was a, a personal act of divinity that showed itself through the weakness of the cross and all that was happening eh, on the cross <clears throat> ah. And it is a wonderful thing to reflect on the fact that no birth has ever had the publicity and the setting forth of evidence that our Lord had. For example, we see that In the case of Mary, uh, who was a person of an outstanding integrity, we see how she explained and set forth the problems which seemed to her impossible and how she kept these things to herself. Instead of telling uh, Joseph at that time, she wasn't at that time actually married to him, but she didn't tell Joseph. She didn't tell anybody else. Uh, it wasn't a case of parading what was an extraordinary visitation which must have been to her uh, something quite wonderful, but she kept it to herself. And we see how, when she told Joseph, <coughs> who was a man of integrity, how he also kept the matter to himself but because it was the time of taxing and the tribes had to go to the area to which they belonged by nativity by birth uh, we see that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem to the place that was spoken of long before this time by the prophets in the Old Testament. And he was also in the line, in the Davidic line. Uh, And we see that in the context of his birth, that the wise men who were also led, to come to a Israel to give gifts to this king that was to be born. We see how they went to Jerusalem, first of all, and explained their visit as they inquired about this birth. And Herod, who was emperor, a very jealous man and very uh, strong on the ideas of his own special place and importance, how he was concerned about what they said and asked them to inform him when they would find the child. When Herod had consulted the Jews who knew that Old Testament they told Herod that the child that was born to be king, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem and so we have a connecting line running through scripture uh, over thousands of years indicating what the ultimate a uh, Event that would bring to the world a savior was to take place. And then you have the children who were put to death at Bethlehem. And of course, the records at his crucifixion, at his trial, Pilate, the governor, uh, appointed a by the Roman Emperor, and also the fact that at Jerusalem, at at the time of uh, Passover, people gathered, Jews who were scattered, Gentiles who were proselytes, people who were attracted to the Jewish faith, how they came to Jerusalem, and there were thousands of people gathered at Jerusalem at these times, so that these things, as the Apostle Paul tells us, were not done in a corner. It is an event that is set down in such a way that its credibility can only be rejected by those who do not wish to believe. Uh, and with his resurrection, of course, the apostle Paul tells us that over 500 were alive at the time when there was the uh, news going around that he had not physically Uh, risen from the grave and you will recall how the apostle tells that over 500 were still alive who had seen our Lord he had seen him himself too in an extraordinary way and uh, if you have two or three witnesses uh, in quote, in our present day, that is sufficient, quite sufficient to confirm uh, what is happening. But when you think of the witnesses, the apostles, and these people who were the witnesses to the resurrection of our Lord, and seeing him physically, the testimony is absolutely for anyone to receive it so when we think of the ultimate authority we think of Christ we think of his birth we think of his crucifixion and we think of his resurrection and all of these things happened not with the help of the Church, but in an extraordinary way which the Church was witness to, not the setters uh, setting forth, not those who actually set forth or contributed to the events, Uh, They were onlookers, spectators. It was the work of God. And it is the ultimate authority. And uh, in our own day, the most uh, fanatical uh, atheist cannot deny that Jesus Christ was born at Bethlehem for it is documented, documented in such a way that it is unreasonable, unreasonable to deny the evidence and uh, no atheist can deny that Jesus was crucified uh, at Jerusalem. And in all, at all events, we see how the Church has continued right through from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but it wouldn't have continued, but for the grace of God. Again and again, corruption broke within its ranks, and... Uh, people thought that they knew better than God and uh, opened their minds to uh, the worshipping practices of other nations, uh, sun worshippers and that sort of thing. Uh, And uh, we see how the Church, in spite of all that was happening, survived. Uh, and it is, it is such a wonderful, wonderful setting forth of the authority of God. God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The pledge of the new creation the grace that would enable us this evening to read the facts as they are presented to us in this chapter and we see that 14 begins with the mention of the first fruits of the world harvest. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. A hundred forty and four thousand. Now these are referred to as the first fruits. And we see that the numbers that are used have a significance. The 144,000 breaks up, uh, but I'm not saying that it is the actual interpretation, but if you take the 12 tribes in the Old Testament and take the 12 apostles in the New Testament, you multiply them, you get 144. And when you have the thousand, you have set forth uh, a round figure that indicates that the power of God is expressed in this wonderful setting forth of his authority in the first fruits uh, of the believers. There's a wonderful future for the people of God, for the Christian, a wonderful future. And we see that the conflict between good and evil will go on, but there is no question but that Good will prevail. The scepter is in Christ's hands. And we see this language that is used, the reference to the beast, to the Antichrist, the reference to the Lamb, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we see a new heaven and a new earth and uh, the gospel triumph. It is a wonderful setting forth of a work that is not man's, but is entirely of God. Now, secondly, we see how the blessed are mentioned here. They are washed in the blood of the Lamb. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian, but don't think for a moment that the Christian is a person that is without fault, that he is full of virtues, that he is a good living person. We have examples right through scripture of uh, men who are pillars in the church, but who were great sinners, even Abraham, the father of the faithful, he twisted things in order to protect himself where only God could protect him and did protect him. He said that his wife was a sister, and in one sense it was true, but it wasn't the whole truth. She was his wife because Sarah was a very beautiful woman and Abraham was afraid that they would kill him. Now, it is wonderful to get this insight into these people that stand out as pillars in the church. If you move on to Rahab at Jericho, Jericho was doomed for destruction, and yet we see Rahab, a woman that lived a a, a very... a a sinful life we see how she is mentioned along with the other saints in Hebrews chapter 12 Uh, uh, and we see how uh, out of Jericho uh, she becomes Uh, one of those who were blessed with the revelation of God as Saviour. And we come, of course, to the New Testament and we meet with people uh, like a a, a Mary... Magdonel uh, uh, who had seven uh, devils what the seven indicates we don't know but it indicates that she was humanly speaking totally taken over uh, by these spirits and her life was a real mess Uh, And yet uh, uh, we see how um, she was delivered from the imposition of these devils. Uh, We also come to the to uh, the thief on the cross, and he himself confessed Um, he himself confessed that he was guilty as was the other uh, person that was crucified along with him and we see how uh, in that situation uh, he prayed to our Lord That he would remember him when he would come into his kingdom. Uh, Now it's a very, very beautiful situation. Um, Someone expressed it, and I am translating what he said. When heaven and earth refused to witness, he found the witness beside him on the cross who witnessed that he was a king and that he had a kingdom. Now the disciples were silent. Uh, Those who were watching of his friends, the women, were silent. Uh, But there was this witness beside him on the cross. But the grace that goes out uh, to that person Christ said to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it is such a wonderful instance of what God is able to do. He says himself that he is able to save unto the uttermost. And there is no man that can plumb the uttermost of God. We have these examples. The Bible is not giving us a a diary or a setting forth of the numbers that have been saved but it sets forth the grace of God active in the different generations and examples of what God is doing and is able to do and so we rejoice in the fact that the Christian is a person who believes in Christ. That is where his goodness rests. It follows that a Christian certainly has fruits that set him aside, but the basis of the hope of a Christian is not in what he does, but rather in what he believes. The saving is entirely of Christ. And my dear friend, if tonight your sin is troubling you and you are very conscious that you are unworthy of being saved, and of course you are unworthy of being saved, and so are we all unworthy of being saved, we have nothing to commend ourselves to God, but remember that Scripture sets it out very clearly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Look to our Lord and he does it all. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, setting forth of the wisdom and the grace of God. If you had something wrong with yourself and you clearly realized that you needed help, uh, it is a wonderful thing that you can go to a doctor and if the doctor is able to diagnose the symptoms, then he will prescribe and you will recover. It's a wonderful thing. It is not your own intelligence that delivers you, but the, the intelligence and the gifts that the doctor has to diagnose and to prescribe. The same thing applies to everything else if you want something done in the home. If you,
1: if,
0: if you require a joiner or a plumber or an electrician or whatever you require, you can't do it yourself. You're not gifted that way. But you can get somebody who is gifted that way Who can do the job and can do it exactly as you would wish it done? But here we have something so wonderful that, however sinful you are, Christ is able to save you and to deliver you. And that is not through your own effort but looking to Jesus to do for you and in you, above and beyond what you are able to ask or even think. And so we see the bless of the Lord washed in the blood of the Lamb. And last of all, we see the rest. No more see. If you were to read the previous chapters, You would read of the restlessness of the sea. But now, in this chapter, we see man made in the image of God, increasing with the increase of God. What we see is a development of the creature in such a way as that he is set forth to be delivered from himself, from the world, and from the devil, and prepared for a perfect and holy environment. There is a beautiful Hebrew word, Shalom, Peace and it means wholeness. And this wholeness is coming into the experience of the Christian when he moves from this present sphere to what God has prepared for him. And we cannot describe the joy. And the wonder of what it must be for the believer as he enters into the experience of that salvation. It cannot be described, but it is as God has prepared it. And that means that it's perfection and perfection that the saved person can experience in an increasing way. It's not something that's static, but it is something that goes on and develops as the child of God is now able to explore as He was never able so to do on this earth the wonder that God is. His name is wonderful. Let us pray. (coughs) Lord, we are so conscious of the limited way that we are able to handle thy word But we thank thee that with thee there are no limitations. And so we pray, not only for ourselves, but for our fellow sinners, Jews and Gentiles, throughout the whole world. Oh, how wonderful, Lord, that thou art able to turn the tide and do for us and in us In thine own wonderful way, pardon us in all wherein we sin, for thy great name's sake. Amen. Amen. We shall close singing in Psalm 122. Psalm 122. And from verse 6, Pray that Jerusalem may have peace and felicity. Let them that love thee and thy peace have still prosperity. Psalm 122 from verse 6 to the end of the psalm.
1: Let's
0: I think I said wrongly the name of Mary Magdalene. I was repeating something that somebody else had said. Uh, Mary Magdalene, out of whom the Lord cast seven devils. Mm -hmm. The following are the intimations, the prayer meeting on Thursday at 7.30 p.m., taken by Mr. Harley Cameron. The service is next Sabbath at the usual times, 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., taken by the Reverend Stuart Farms. And uh, the Witness and Explorer magazines for November are now ready for collection on the table in the vestibule. These are all the intimations. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen.